The following audio is from Two Pillars Church, a gospel-centered, missionally-focused church located in Lincoln, Nebraska. More information about Two Pillars Church can be found at www.twopillarschurch.com. Well, Mark Rogop in his, his book, Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy, defines lament in this way. And by the way, if you've been hanging out in Two Pillars uh, much at all over the last approximately two years, you, you probably heard this definition before. Vrogop defines lament in this way. He says that lament is a prayer in pain that leads to trust. Prayer in pain that leads to trust. It's, it's not only how Christians grieve, but it's the way that Christians praise God through their sorrows. Oh, Todd and Ben and Craig and I uh, were recently sitting down uh, just this week uh, for a, a lunch, and we we joked a little bit that that I, I run the risk of being typecasted as the pastor of lament here at Two Pillars Church um, because this has kind of been a this has been a hobby horse, so to speak, for me. It's it's been a soapbox issue. Um, it's almost as if we need to change my title on the website. Uh, but look, lament is something that I've grown deeply passionate about for for a couple of different reasons. Number one. As evangelicals, we're not very good at it. We're not very good at it. And uh, for many of us, I might even say for most of us, it's, it's like a foreign language. And, and we've already found this morning to be a little bit difficult to navigate, maybe a little bit awkward. But number two, I've, I've grown passionate about lament because over the last couple of years in particular... I have become more and more convinced of this, that that the world is a tragic place. Isn't it? The world, it's it's a tragic place. And that means that suffering is inevitable. On top of the fact that suffering is something that Jesus specifically calls us to do as Christians. And so how do we navigate seasons of, of suffering and grief and hardship without the language of lament? And look, if, if our idea and understanding of, of worship or a church gathering on Sundays, if our understanding of these things is uh, that, that this is what I do to be happy or this is what I do to get happy, then days like today are going to be really confusing. And they're going to be really disorienting. And and tragically, we might even conclude on a day like today that we can't worship at all. I just don't have it in me. And, and, And we might purpose to just leave it, leave this worship thing to to another day, someday in the future, when I can feel happy again and do it right. But look, lament is a, it's a deeply biblical thing. And as we open up to Psalm 77 today, I, I want to assure you that about one-third of the psalms are, in fact, psalms of lament. And so we're just going to take a look at one of those today and, and, and quickly work our way through it. 
Again, Psalm 77. This is, a, this is a psalm of lament written by Asaph, who was himself acquainted, well acquainted. He was fluent in the language of lament. And there are three things I want us to, to notice today, and, and they're going to kind of take us through the, the main sections of his lament. Number one, we're going to see Asaph's cry. We're going to see a cry. Secondly, Asaph's going to go on a search, and we're going to go with him. And then lastly, we're going to make an appeal. And so, let's, let's dive in then. Now, there aren't a lot of details that are given to us in this psalm, in the, in the text of this psalm, that, that, that tell us about the the, the ins and outs of the specific circumstances that led to this lament. And, and uh, so we don't know specifically what he's dealing with, or uh, we don't know specifically about the nature of his affliction. And look, there, there are some psalms that are very specific in this regard. There are some psalms that are, are much more general and broad. This one is one of the more broad and general psalms, and that's, that's helpful for us at times because it makes it easier for us to personalize it, to, to apply it. What we do know is that according to verse 2, Asaph, like so many of us here today, is in the day of trouble. He's in the day of trouble, and the psalm that he writes in his day of trouble, it's, it's intense. And you, you may have noticed that as we were reading it. It's deeply personal. As Asaph expresses intense pain and distress. And his pain and his distress, it's, it's audible. He says in verse 1 that, that he, he cries out, to God. He, he cries aloud. In verse 3, we see that he moans. How many of us have cried aloud this week? How many of, how many of our tears have devolved into some kind of moan this week? And look, if, if not this week, then sometime before. And likely sometime again. And look, it's, it's inconsolable. His soul refuses to be comforted, he says in verse 2. Verse 3, his spirit faints. And in verse 4, he says, I'm, I'm so troubled that I cannot speak. And look, many of us here today, we're in the midst of this day of trouble. We're in the midst of a day of trouble much like this one. We've, we've cried. We've moaned. Some of us identify with the psalmist in Psalm 42 who says that my tears have been food day and night. And maybe you've tried to find comfort somewhere. But every attempt has failed. That's where Asaph is. You can't comfort yourselves. The words of, of others don't comfort you either. They, they, they somehow just ring empty and hollow. This is, 
This is where Asaph is as he cries out to God. And look, in, in, in the midst of pain and grief and suffering, there, there are all kinds of people and places and things that we can turn to, aren't there? All kinds of people and, and, and places and things that, that promise to, to deliver some sense of reprieve or relief. But I, I want us to, to take note of what Asaph's response is. In the midst of this inconsolable grief, who does he turn to? Who does he cry out to? He turns to the Lord. He cries out to the Lord. In this, brothers and sisters, it's a really simple observation, but it's an observation that has to be made because the the beginning of all Christian lament is something that we shouldn't take for granted. The beginning of all Christian lament is a turning to God in the midst of our pain, albeit inconsolable pain. You see, lament is how we pray when we're in pain and don't feel like praying. Lament is how we worship when we're in pain and we don't feel like worshiping. Lament is how we trust when we're in pain and we're struggling to trust. And so Asaph doesn't just cry aloud into the air. He cries aloud to God. In his day of trouble, he seeks the Lord, we see, with his hands stretched out in prayer. And yet, that's not the end of the psalm, is it? Asaph doesn't just cry out to the Lord and then, like, everything's all better. And and he thus concludes the psalm. No, the the crying out to the Lord, it's just the beginning. Because as important as it is in the day of trouble to cry out to the Lord, it's it's not as clean and simple and easy in the day of trouble to, to, to merely turn to the Lord. You see, turning to the Lord... Praying to the Lord in the midst of our pain doesn't take our pain away. Turning to the Lord and crying out to Him in the midst of our hurt doesn't put a nice little bow on our hurt. And if you're in the midst of it right now, then you know this all too well. You've cried out time and time and time again, and it, it still hurts. In fact, that the psalmist writes in verse 3, when I remember God, I moan. When I meditate, my spirit faints. It's as he turns to God and remembers God that he moans. Did you notice that? Why is that? Why is the turning to God and remembering God the thing that causes him to moan in the midst of his pain? Well, it's because in his day of trouble, he's not just wrestling and struggling with the pain of his circumstances, but he's wrestling and struggling with God himself. Verse 4, you hold my eyelids open. I'm so troubled, I cannot speak. I consider the days of old, the years long ago. I said, let me remember my song in the night. Let me meditate in my heart. 
through sleepless nights, Asaph remembers. Maybe you've found yourself doing this as well. He, he remembers the days of old. Do you remember the good old days? Do you remember better days? Do you remember happier days? Do you remember the days before the phone call? Before the loss? Before the diagnosis? Before the sadness? Do you remember the days before the disappointment? Before the betrayal? Before the danger? Before the abuse? Before the pain? Whatever it is. Do you remember the good old days? Before that day when the world changed? Asaph does. And he thinks about his, what he calls his, his song in the night. It probably refers to a, a song of, of worship of, of some sort that he, he sung remembering God's goodness and his mighty deeds. This was an edifying song that brought him comfort and peace. This might have been a, a song that he kind of lulled himself to sleep with at night. It, it's a song that was once stuck in his head on repeat. He couldn't stop singing it. It'd be like the Sing To soundtrack in my house right now. Right? But now, now Asaph, he, he lies awake in bed at night, and he, he's watching the hours go by on his alarm clock, 2 a.m., 3 a.m., 4 a.m., and he's trying to remember the song. The song that he used to sing, the one that was played over and over and over in his head, he's He's trying to remember the song, and he can't. You see, turning to God in the midst of pain and suffering is all well and good, and we should do that. We should turn to the Lord in the midst of our pain and suffering and hurt, but for Asaph, this was this was just the beginning. Because once you've turned to God, a new question arises. And that question is, who exactly is this God that I'm turning to anyways? Who is this God? What kind of God is this that I'm, I'm turning to, that I'm crying out to? And so he wrestles with this question, as do we. And the psalmist writes, then my spirit made a diligent search. And so we move then from the cry to a search. Asaph's search takes a form of three main questions that I would summarize in this way. We find them in verses 7, 8, and 9. The first question is this, has the Lord rejected me? Has the Lord rejected me? Question number two, does the Lord still love me? 
And his third question, is the Lord still gracious? Really good questions to be asking in the day of trouble, aren't they? The answer to these questions has a lot to say about this whole <laughs> lament interaction with our God. Now, remember that Asaph, he's, he's one of God's chosen. He's one of God's beloved covenant people upon whom the Lord has set his favor. He's a part of a people who for generations and generations and generations have celebrated and hung their hats upon being God's set-apart chosen people. But everything that Asaph is experiencing right now seems to be out of line with this truth and this identity. Everything. He doesn't feel chosen. He feels forgotten. He doesn't feel loved. He feels rejected and abandoned. He doesn't feel the Lord's favor and grace. He feels what seems like judgment. And so naturally the mind wanders, doesn't it? And, and the questions flow. The doubts swirl. And the untruths become seemingly more and more plausible over time. We do the same thing in the midst of our own pain and grief. For example, we could find ourselves asking questions like, where is God? Where is he anyway? Can, can he hear me? And if he can hear me, can he, be, can he really be trusted with what I'm telling him? Does he really love me? Like, I, I believe that he loved me at one point. But is it possible that the, the terms or nature of my relationship with him have changed? Maybe I've exhausted his patience. Maybe he's had it up to here. Maybe his promises have run out. Maybe he's angry with me or punishing me. Look, and is he really even good at all? Is he really gracious? Is he really merciful? Is he really faithful? Is his love really steadfast? Maybe for everyone else, but what about for me? And look, if, if he is still all of these things, how can that be reconciled with the pain and distress and grief and the loss that I'm feeling right now? And so his, his spirit is diligently Searching. He's desperately trying to remember that song. The song of, of God's goodness and, and his love and his faithfulness and his mighty deeds. Look, these, these are the kinds of questions that can make us a little bit uncomfortable in church. Suffice it to say. But it's it's so important. It's so important to note here that he brings 
even these kinds of questions to the Lord in the midst of his lament as, as he wrestles and struggles with God. And, and we should do the same. Biblical lament gives us a voice and allows us to express our pain and our disappointment. It allows us to express our loneliness and our struggles, our our doubts and our questions, our frustration and our anger, even our anger at God. Look, that's not to say that all of these things are good. But... Here's the thing. We we worship a God who's all-knowing. He knows your complaints already. You aren't hiding anything from him, so you might as well be honest. Honest, salted with with an immense amount of humility and reverence, to be sure. But look, in, in Christ, you can be honest with God about your pain and fears and longings. And frustrations, you, you can be honest about all of it. You, you can approach our God in heaven as a loving father. And look, if, if you know that some of your complaints or questions or doubts are out of step, out of line with the truth of God's word, why don't you confess that to him at the same time? That brings us then, the cry and the search brings us then to, to verse 10 in Asaph's appeal. It's, it's worth noting here, on, on the heels of talking about crying out to God with questions and complaints, it, it's worth noting that that lament is more than just complaining to God, right? It, it's, it's certainly more than an expression of sorrow or anger or pain. It's, it's no less than these things, but it's, it's so much more than these things. You see, the momentum of lament is always towards trust and confidence and faith in the Lord. This is, this is the momentum of the lament. The momentum of the lament is always prodding us in the direction of trust and confidence and faith in Him. Not, not instant confidence. Not perfect confidence. But Lord, look, the biblical lament is always taking us by the hand and just gently, slowly leading us in that direction. That's why nearly every lament that we read in the Bible has a, a pivot point. A point where everything kind of changes. This is a, a point in a lament marked by oftentimes by the, the word but or yet or however or in the case of our psalm here in Psalm 77 and then. And that pivot point leads us to the anchor point of the lament which is God's character and faithfulness. Verse 10, we see this pivot point. In verse 10, Asaph leads us to the anchor. He says, Then I said, I will appeal to this, to the years of the right hand of the Most High. 
I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. One pastor, Ken Montgomery, writes this about our psalm. He says, beginning in the second part of Psalm 77, Asaph does the work of what he calls a covenant archaeologist. Unlike other archaeologists who can dig for months, years, or even decades with no assurance of success, Asaph, in digging for past treasures, the wonders of old, as he calls it in verse 11, is guaranteed to strike gold. If you go digging in the right place, you're guaranteed to strike gold. So, so where does Asaph go? Let, let's make note of this. Is if he's going to strike gold, maybe we could strike gold there. And look, it's, it's not in some vague sense of spirituality. Like with religious platitudes, that, that's not where he goes. He doesn't go to, if the Lord brought you to it, then he'll take you through it. He goes to the Exodus and the redemption of the Lord's people out of slavery and oppression in Egypt. This is a concrete display of God's power and faithfulness in action, codified and rooted in the pages of history and in time and space. See, at the beginning of Exodus, we see God's people crying out to him asking him to rescue them from their oppression. Interestingly, in much the same way that we see Asaph crying out to God at the beginning of this psalm. And we're told miraculously that God heard them. Their words came up to them, that he heard them, that he saw them, and more importantly, that he remembered. That he remembered his covenant with their fathers. See, the, the Lord heard the cry of his people enslaved in Egypt. He, he remembered his covenant, his steadfast love that he had set on his people. And then with his mighty arm, he bore them on eagles' wings. He redeemed them from slavery and led them like a flock out of Egypt to himself by the hand of Moses and Aaron putting not only his power and glory on display, but also his faithfulness and his steadfast love to his people. Montgomery says this. He says, The history of God's steadfast love becomes for Asaph the source of a solace and encouragement he could never discover within the terms of the present. If you're looking for solace and comfort right here, right now in the circumstances of the present, you will likely be left wanting, won't you? The world's a tragic place. Best, like Asaph, to look back. You see, in remembering the Lord's past faithfulness, Asaph finds a sustaining hope for a painful present and an uncertain future. A painful present and an uncertain future. If you're sitting here right now and you would say, yeah, I feel like I have a painful present and an uncertain future, then you need a sustaining hope. 
And for Asaph, he found this sustaining hope in remembering the Lord's past faithfulness, delivering his people out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Look, this is true for Asaph, and this is true for us as well. In remembering the Lord's past faithfulness, we too can find a sustaining hope for a present, a, a, a painful present and an uncertain future. We could look to the Exodus as well. But as Christians, we know that the Exodus points to something even greater. A final Exodus. So why wouldn't we turn there where we Remember that, that Jesus, through his life, death, and resurrection, he has redeemed us as his people from bondage to sin. Just as the Lord redeemed his people from slavery and bondage to the Egyptians. Through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, God has defeated Satan. He's claimed victory over death. And Jesus, as our good shepherd, leads us now as his blood-bought flock. Not by, the, not by the hands of mere mortals, like Moses and Aaron, but by his own hand. Fully God, fully man. And he is now for us our source of eternal hope and eternal joy, even in the day of of trouble. And through all of this, the first exodus and the final exodus, the Lord has put not only his power and glory on display, but he's also put his faithfulness and his steadfast love for his people, his suffering people, on display. And so look, none of this makes the pain that many of us are feeling today any less painful. This isn't the magic bullet to take the pain away. But the assurance of the faithfulness and steadfast love of Jesus, this this assurance of, of faithfulness and steadfast love of Jesus, this is our anchor in the midst of our pain. It it this assurance becomes our north star. In the midst of suffering, it it leads us through suffering, through hurt, through pain, toward a deeper, persevering sense of trust and confidence and faith in him. And so Asaph, he, he cries out to the Lord. And he... He searches as he, he wrestles and struggles with God and asks the question, what, what kind of God is this? Who is this God anyway that I'm crying out to? And, and the conclusion that he comes to by looking back and fixing his eyes on the, the faithfulness and steadfast love of the Lord, the conclusion that, that he arrives at is an anchor that, that leads him through the day of trouble. 
And it, it will lead us through that day of trouble as well, brothers and sisters. And so I, I encourage you, I, I exhort you today in, in the midst of pain, in the midst of loss, in the midst of your day of trouble, would, would you fix your eyes upon the, the finished, redemptive work of Jesus on your behalf? Would you remember his faithfulness and his steadfast love? And may this lead you and persevere you to that day when he will wipe away every tear from our eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. This, this is our future hope in him. Let's pray. Father, we cry out to you today. So many of us here today are in the day of trouble. And so, Father, would you uh, give, us, give us the grace we need today to cry out to you, to be reminded of who you are, your, your steadfast love and faithfulness that you've shown to us in the person and work of Christ. And Lord, would we hold fast to that in the midst of the storm? Would you be with us in the midst of the pain and lead us through it until that day when pain will be no more? Lord, that is our hope. We ask all this in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this audio from Two Pillars Church. Feel free to share this audio with others, but please do not alter or edit the content in any way. For more information about Two Pillars Church, please visit www.twopillarschurch.com.